podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. The Nat Coombe Show is brought to you in association with the Aer Lingus College Football Classic. The first chance to get tickets to see Northwestern versus Nebraska at the Aviva Stadium on Saturday, the 27th of August, 2022, is through their pre-sale on Friday, the 19th of November. So visit collegefootballisland.com to sign up now for exclusive access. That's collegefootballisland.com. Head on over and sign up. Hello and welcome to the Nat Coombs Show College Days. Hey, and Ben Isaacs, how about this? Huh? Check this out. Producer Al has come good. We've got our own theme tune for College Days, finally. Hi, what, what took him so long? I mean, the connections are so obvious. Straight off the bat, I'm thinking of Macho Man Randy Savage. I mean, it could, there could only be one thing. Why have we gone for pomp and circumstance out of interest as our theme tune for college yeah. days? Did he explain it to you? Um, I mean, we might want to look at the cost of it. That might have, that might have played a part. But Number is, one on the list. It is it is something you will hear at graduations. And when I hear it, I want to I want to kind of take a hat off my head and throw it up in the air but unless it is actually a mortarboard hat it is mm. it just makes you look like a crazy person How, so, what was your graduation like were you uh did you do that did you throw the hat in the air and then I when did. it had nine pipes of steak bite black uh, so i so i didn't i didn't do that but what i do remember is that um when i went up on stage to get my diploma the person handing it out was Macho Man Randy Savage? Uh, the clo- the closest that you can get in Wales because it was some like former Welsh rugby legend. And I can't quite remember who it was. That's not the important part of the story, but just the fact it was an, it was a big Wales rugby legend. Mm. And I kind of then came down off the stage, and my dad was clearly more impressed by the person who'd handed it to me <laughs> than the fact that I just got my degree. So that that stuck with me certainly. I mean, I'm not bitter, clearly. I can, I, can, I can sense the bitterness. We will try and get you in a better mood, Ben. We'll try and get you in a better mood because <laughs> that's still lingering even now. Although I, this vision, the idea of uh, Sergeant Slaughter handing over my, <laughs> my, uh, two, right. my 2-1 from So UCI. you know how WWE have got that um, academy out? Is it, is it in Connecticut or is it down in Florida where they've got this big academy? Where oh, yes. they kind of Florida, like, I think, yeah. What, surely they should just have their own university there. A bit like the IMG Academy where they just get all these <laughs> top it. football recruits, put, put them in one, like a high school all-star team and they kind of tour America getting experience and then they all get like massive scholarships. There should be a WWE university. Can I you imagine. I would 100% sign up for that. I would yeah. sign up. I'll be on the broadcast course. We didn't yeah. used to talk about this when we were starting out about, wasn't on, we talked about a dream job, writing <laughs> and performing the WWE, but it could still happen. Mate. It could still happen. Yeah. Don't rule it out. I think there are important WWE execs that listen to College Days. I'm certain of it. And speaking of which, let's get down to business. We've got a lot of ground to cover. Enough of this nonsense. We, uh, we've we got Rookie Watch. We're going to Rookie Watch. We're going to look at quarterbacks. So Justin Fields, we're going to look at, we're going to look at Zach Wilson via Mike White, right? And work out, well, how could Mike White get the job done when Zach Wilson has been hmm, pretty much sticking the joint out? Mac Jones as well. You know how big I am on that Patriots offense. I want to get your perspective on what he's doing well and where his shortcomings still are. So good rookie watch coming. Uh, running backs, the running back class we're looking at in terms of draft prospects. Uh, big shout out uh, to, where 
where's the tweet? I had it ro- loaded up right in front of me. Here we go from Richard Moorcroft. Hey, Richard, big shout out to you for putting this one forward. Uh, he's got a specific question, but he put running backs front and center. So we'll get into his question a bit later. Uh, but the best running back prospects heading to the NFL uh, ben will be working through the runners and riders in just a bit. Now, we've already rebranded our College Legends segment um, within within one episode. Um, so we've gone with College Ball 101 because we're going to have legends, individuals, and also moments. And that's how we're going to do it. So so to build up their history. So College Ball 101 is a, a, a story from the 80s. That Ben's going to paint the picture, including... Uh, involving Eric Dickerson, one of the all-time greats, of course, in the, in the NFL. But this was back in his college days and a huge scandal at SMU. So looking forward to that. And then the big games this weekend as well. So we've got a ton to be getting into before any of it, though, Ben, before any of it. Uh, and still no TikTok, incidentally. Ollie's got the theme tune. You guys will be getting in touch on Twitter at the NC Show. Same on Insta, same on Facebook. Still no TikTok. It's embarrassing at this stage, and it, it reflects very poorly on Ollie and his, and his future career at this stage, I would say, Nats. I think it's got to that point. I mean, I, I don't know if we're in the stage of written warning, but um, <laughs> is it verbal? Is it written? Are we going to get pink slips? I don't know. We're going to work on that. Uh, but uh, despite the fact that we are not on TikTok, we have got some breaking news uh, to lead off the show. NFL news that uh, I want to drop. We are recording this Tuesday afternoon. Um, so we're going to miss all the big trade deadline news. By the time you listen to this, uh, loads and loads of deals will have been done that we won't have caught, although we'll pick that up uh, on our preview show, which Ben is joining me for later on this week, our week nine preview show. So we'll get up to speed on all the deals that were done at The Wire. But what has dropped while we've been in a studio? So uh, Melvin Ingram to the Chiefs for a sixth round pick. Uh, Melvin Ingram, because I don't know if you've heard, Ben, but the Chiefs need help defensively. No, they're fine. They're fine on defense. Oh, wait, the Chiefs. Oh, no, no, no. They're terrible. They're terrible on defense. Yeah. That's them. Yep. 391 and a half yards a game. <laughs> terrible, to be precise. Frank Clark and, and Chris Jones, of course, have been banged up, although that's uh, things are looking up there. Chavarius Ward's had a knock as well. So there are mitigating circumstances, but this could be a significant addition, particularly with those players, if they can keep them all fully fit at the same time. What do you think of Melvin Ingram? He's played, looking at the, the numbers here, NFL.com, uh, per, uh, this is per, on NFL.com, but via Pro Football Focus, 18 pressures as a pass rusher this season, 62% of defensive snaps he played. So it's not as if he's a peripheral figure by any stretch, but he's maybe not the vintage Melgram, uh, Melvin Ingram of the past, is he? No, he's not been making the impact that we would expect. He is very experienced. He can plug straight into that Chiefs defense, though, in, mm. you know, I, they... I'm sure that they will have him on the field in week nine um, for that big game against Green Bay. I like this deal a lot. I think it works for all parties. He was uh, he was inactive on the weekend. It was clear that he was on his way out of Pittsburgh. It was just a matter of getting a deal done with somebody. Mm. And the Chiefs seem like the ideal landing spot. They they just need some experienced bodies there to to make some things happen. He's not been he's not been that effective um, for Pittsburgh this season. That's he's not going to turn around the Chiefs on his own, but he is a solid addition. It is an upgrade and it's a good deal for everybody. Yeah, the definition, right, of, of a good deal. You're right. I think it's a fair price. Kansas City can't get much worse, no. uh, although maybe that's famous last words. Uh, and, uh, and you know, Pittsburgh, do we think Pittsburgh are in contention? That seems to be one of the big stories flying around that we thought they were sticking up the joint. Now, all of a sudden, winning record. Should we be taking them seriously? Is yeah, I mean, I... If 
you know, on the on the radio show that we did together on Sunday, before that, I I didn't think it was I didn't think it was worth taking the Steelers seriously in any way in terms of the playoffs. Right. But they were they were pretty good against the Browns. Now the Browns kind of stunk up the joint, obviously, but the Steelers looked like they could just grind out wins against some teams. So I think they are, I think they are connected. I think that that AFC North is going to just be absolutely ridiculous because all four of those teams could make the playoffs. I don't mean they, you know, they will, but they all they all have the potential to make the playoffs. There, there's no one there that you would say, oh, they're out of it. Mm. They have they can't contend. They all can. And really, Pittsburgh should be the worst of those four, mm. but they're going to be a very tough out. So I think you've, you've got to keep an eye. I think they're going to be dangerous. And we've said before, this might be Ben Roethlisberger's last season. Um, can he go out with a playoff appearance? Yeah, I, I mean, if he does, if they make it and and the manner that they make it, and the manner that offense will will grind it out behind the the defense, which of, of course is the real identity of the team with, with respect to, to Najee Harris, right? I mean, who is carrying that team mm. on his shoulders. It would be, to extend the, the wrestling analogy, it would be like the Steelers were the first or second to the ring in the Royal Rumble. And they, they battle through to, to about 27 and then, yeah. and then get thrown over the top rope by whoever came in at 28th. Yeah. And probably looking a little bit relieved that it's over at last, but what a performance from the <laughs> yeah. Steelers to make it that far. Yeah. Uh, okay. Let's get down to, uh, to business then. Start with rookie watch. Are we hashtagging Rookie Watch? I don't know. I think we should. I'm I think sure. it should be hashtag Rookie Watch. I'm sure about 8 million media organizations have done that. Yep. Um, but uh, we've got three quarterbacks we're looking at this week. And if you want us to look at a particular rookie, then fire him in at the NC show, right? That's how you do it. And we will we will take a look. That is for sure. Uh, so we're going to start with Justin Fields because he had, well, an extraordinary play in the game against the 49ers. How do you rate his overall performance? Because we're all looking at the highlight reel stuff, but what about collectively? Because going into that game, despite you and I talking up a promising uh, direction for the Bears' offense a few weeks ago, things have regressed quite significantly, right? And he was, in all kinds of ways, struggling at the, the, the lower reaches, at the bottom rungs of rankings, left, right, and center. But we know that stats aren't always telling the entire picture. So you watched a lot of that game uh, and focused on a lot of that game. How did Fields look to you? He looked absolutely fantastic. I So I'll, I'll, put, my, I'll put my Bears hat on. I'll, I'll have taken off my graduation mortarboard I right. put on my Bears hat. Backwards, I hope. Oh, well, I mean, I'm, you know, I was molded in the 1990s, so obviously. <laughs> um, so as speaking as a, speaking as a Bears fan, mm. I don't ever remember watching the Bears lose, but coming out of it being so excited about, about the direction of the team. The, you know, the defense was terrible, but the things that he was able to do, the way he's able to take command of that offense – the way he's able to make plays happen that shouldn't necessarily happen is absolutely fantastic. I didn't think I'd ever say these words as a Bears fan. The defense is really holding back our superstar quarterback. And that's and that's how it feels. What do you mean? Explain what you mean. Well, this, this defense has so many holes. They really missed Khalil Mack on Sunday. The offense was kind of doing its job. It, was, it took a while before there was, um, I think it was something like five possessions in a row that the bears scored on mm-hmm. at the at the start of that game their problem was they couldn't stop the 49ers and the 49ers defense then started to firm up the obviously the key play that everyone will have seen is that there was a fourth and one 
where Justin Fields went one direction, was surrounded by 49ers. They, he should have been sacked about four or five times, but he was just so elusive and he's so strong. I think that's something people need to realize. He is strong, like Cam Newton strong. Right. Gets away from those players, goes, goes down, the, down the left sideline and scores a touchdown from sort of 25, 30 yards out. When it was, I mean, it was a, it was a designed run. Finally, the Bears are putting in designed runs for Justin Fields, playing to his strengths. Mm. The offensive scheme still seems like it's the scheme that was meant for Andy Dalton at the start of the season, which obviously needs to be different. Now, there's still a long way to go in this season, and hopefully we will see more and more Justin Fields-specific things, because even if you are just a neutral, you're not a Bears fan, you will want to watch Justin Fields doing Justin Fields things. The touchdown he threw across his body, putting it in such a tight window was an absolute work of art. You should stick it in the Louvre. It was beautiful. (laughs) Now, he won't be able to do this on every play, but he is just showing all these things that this is why I said he was the second best quarterback. In fact, the second best player overall in last year's draft. Mm -hmm. He's doing things that I would only expect Trevor Lawrence to be able to do. And frankly, the running with the ball, Justin Fields will do it better. Mm. Justin Fields is now really starting to look like something special. The mm. Bears have to build that team around him, which isn't easy because they've made bad personnel decisions. So they don't have a lot of cap room. They don't have a first round draft pick next season, but they do have their quarterback that they can be sure of. This guy is special. I think that Sunday was his coming out party and it went beyond just a handful of highlights. It's, it was really great to see. I love seeing these young quarterbacks really succeed anyway. But as a Bears fan, obviously, I particularly enjoy that one. Justin Fields is a good guy. He's the sort of player that every team would want now. Super intelligent, super athletic, super strong, super committed, and just a superstar. So you're not sold on him quite yet. <laughs> no, I think he's okay. He's all right. He's not bad. Okay. Well, that's high praise indeed. And, and it's great to see you've, you summed it up perfectly that we've, we've talked about this for many a year. The outside of everything else, and by which I mean, let's talk about some of the examples you gave, the accuracy, the zing on the ball, the decision-making, the ability to run and how, and the style of running you are and, and the improvisational aspect to a game and keeping plays alive and all of these obvious things that you're looking to emerge sooner rather than later in, in, in rookie quarterbacks, depending on the, their particular skill sets. There is also this moxie, right? This sense of you, are, you know, you belong here. You're fine. You have, and it doesn't have to, and often isn't the Johnny Manziel Baker kind of swagger. It's just a composure at you and, not at all phased by this. And that is when I, the lights came on for me with Justin Fields in that game. We were watching it. We were doing, as you say, our radio show, so Red Zone. So things flying around left, right and center. Watching stuff back afterwards in the, in the cool light of day. Just had that in, by the dozen, he had that absolute composure in that game. Uh, and I think it is really exciting. So he's got that. At the moment, Zach Wilson couldn't be further away from that. I think it's fair to say. And his situation has been accentuated. The struggles have been accentuated by the extraordinary display from Mike White. Now, we need to put Mike White in a little bit of context, right? Because he had it. And I don't want to take very much of anything away from him because the guts of the performance 
two early picks that he didn't blink. 400 yards, only Cam's done that in his opening, in his first start in the NFL. An 11-point hole, and he fought back. The Jets. Of That's all we need to say about that, just the Jets. Uh, and, and so what a, what a fight. What a fighter. Love it. But, but, but. It wasn't, and me and Carlson were getting into this on the review show earlier in the week. He wasn't zinging 54 yarders or anything like that. It was economical and efficient. And it got me thinking, what is the main reason or what are the main reasons that Zach Wilson hasn't been able to look any of those things really, apart from maybe in flashes. So he's got the, using the word, he's got the flashier boys, maybe had individual plays that were far more in isolation, uh, magnetic and impressive than anything Mike White did, but collectively just hasn't been able to put it together. So why not? You know what I think from watching Zach Wilson games, watching him play in the flesh um, at Tottenham compared with Mike White and going back and watching more of that is that Zach Wilson in pretty much every game has looked nervous, Mm. has been, and he's, he's an intelligent player and usually a good decision maker. I feel like he's second guessing himself. I think his confidence has been low. Yeah. I think he, he came in and was a little bit like you can get players who hit the ground running despite the fact they've not played particularly um, good teams in college. Like Carson Wentz didn't even play at the FCS level. He played at the level below in college football. So he wasn't playing any of the big boys. Justin Fields did. And Zach Wilson at BYU tended because of the schedule his team played. They didn't play the the giants of college football. He wasn't up against Alabama and Clemson. Um, he looks like he's someone who's finding his feet, but is doing it slowly, and is a little bit. I don't. I feel if I use the word scared, it makes it sound like he's like he's he's cowardly or something. When I say scared, it looks like he's afraid and worried about making mistakes. Whereas Trevor Lawrence. Justin Fields and Mac Jones don't seem scared to make mistakes. Mm. They are trying to do something and will accept that mistakes will happen. And they are trying to reduce those mistakes. He looks like he's scared. He's going to make those mistakes. Mike White looked like someone who knew he might get one shot at this. Mm -hmm. If he had had like an awful performance, that would probably be his last ever start in the NFL. That was it. Mm -hmm. He'd be done. Because he's not meant to be on the field. He wasn't drafted to be a starter. He's just been, you know, knocking around. And finally, he got to start a game because of an unusual it's a situation. Great point you make. I don't think anyone, I've heard anyone make this point, that the absolute fearlessness that he played with was it almost yeah. certainly predicated on the sense of, what I've got nothing to yeah. lose, right? What, yeah, exactly. Why, why hold back? Yeah. Why, hold, why back? hold back? And when the interceptions happened... He could have been like, oh, well, that's me done. Mm. But what's the point of thinking that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, Zach Wilson, you know you're going to start next week. You know they don't draft you that high and then give up on you after a few games. They just don't. Yeah. So he knows he's got to deal with it over and over and over. And he knows that everybody is looking at him like, well, show us something. Whereas with Mike White, he knew he wasn't going to – it wasn't that everyone was going to blame him. It wasn't going to be his fault. People weren't going to be – booing him and be like, oh, we hate Mike White. What a waste of money he was. Well, the Jets fans probably would have done, but... <laughs> yeah, the Jets, Jets fans might. We are talking uh, Jets. Oh, so he just, 
he knew after those interceptions that you and t- to be fair, those interceptions were not even his fault. Right, exactly. He let it knock his confidence. He just had to get on with it. It's like if you are given one shot at something, it feels very different to knowing that that job is yours mm. for the next few years. So and you might lose it at the end, but if you've got one shot, you can't let a bad play define it you've just got to move on and he just kept doing it he kept doing it. he kept doing it and he just played with a, a level of confidence and self-security that was you wouldn't have been able to see in zach wilson that's uncannily how we established propo on the edge rusher <laughs> we just gave, we gave him we gave him a roll of the dice and, and his, his prop bets incidentally his prop bets came in again this week he's on fire right now it, it's a it's a terrific point bad and also i guess reminds me that Mike White, despite what Robert Salas says, and hey, maybe there's another twist in this tale, but it's fairly likely he's not going to be the jet starter going forwards when Zach Wilson's fit again. But that performance alone, and uh, I guess a lot is dependent on what comes next to, to, to a large degree, but that performance alone has parlayed him into at least a roster spot somewhere next season even if it isn't at the jets and but that composure and that the absence of concentrating on mistakes that have happened dwelling on those and, and actually concentrating on anything he can the only things he can affect which is the things that are coming up next right the classic thing that all athletes tell themselves but not everyone is able to to execute that's going to put him in really good stead as a career backup that's exactly what a head coach wants from a backup right is that you got to be thrust in in the third quarter. Just don't make a mistake. Don't be phased. Just be calm and composed. Yeah, and the thing is, is that um, with a lot of players, uh, a nice sneaky insult is to describe them as a career backup. Mm. And there, there are there are starters in the NFL who you might say, really talent wise, they're a career backup. If Mike White can be a career backup, he is going to make millions and millions of dollars, and will enjoy his career. And he is, he is, I don't think he's going to be an NFL starter. I think he can have some really good games. Mm. And there's, he's, he's got to be on a roster somewhere next season. And if he didn't get the chance to play, if Zach Wilson just played the entire season and he didn't, he didn't get on the field, he's maybe a practice squad player somewhere, something mm. like that. So that one performance may have set his kids up for life. Yeah, that's a great point. Now, listen, Ben, guess what? Mm-hmm. American football, I know you're a fan. I, I like it. It's coming to Ireland. Yes. And the Irish fans seem to absolutely lap it up. And I know people who've gone over from the, um, from the UK. To, oh, and Mike was telling us, he went over and he was telling us all kinds of interesting stories on the review show about pints of Guinness and cab rides. And uh, I'm oh. not sure where that was going to go, quite frankly. Well, check this out. The Northwestern Wildcats are taking on Nebraska at the Aviva Stadium in Dublin. Saturday, the 27th of August, 2022, which is the first game in the Aer Lingus College Football Series. Uh, wow, Ben, how excited are we for this? Because not least, and I'm sure you will know being a college football guru, the first time Northwestern have played a game outside of the States. Uh, yes. I mean, the thing is, is that not enough college games take place outside the US. And because of the fact that it's not, it's not like the NFL where everything is done centrally, it's a little bit trickier to make these arrangements. And I feel like Dublin should be the home away from home for college football. Like, yes, like college fans going on a break 
going to Ireland for the weekend and just going absolutely wild, exploring Dublin, partying in Dublin and going to these games. And the thing is, is that this is a Big Ten rivalry game. These aren't just like two random teams thrown together. These are teams that play in the same, play in the same conference. They aren't far apart. Nebraska fans, to say that they are loyal is quite the understatement. Like that stadium that they have in Lincoln, Nebraska is always full and it is absolutely massive. They're known for having some of the most loyal fans in America. And basically, Nebraska fans especially are just going to take over Dublin. You are just going to see red and white all over Dublin. They're going to outnumber the Northwestern fans, certainly. It's going to be like a little version, not a little version of Lincoln, Nebraska, because Dublin's bigger than Lincoln, Nebraska. But it's going to be like transporting Lincoln, Nebraska right into Dublin. Now, the thing is, is why that's different to the NFL games at London is it will feel like a college town atmosphere. Even though Dublin is a big cosmopolitan city, it will feel like a college town on that day and you will get the college experience, which you don't really get for the NFL games in London. That's why I love these games being in Ireland. It's just perfect. It gets even better because there are tailgates before the game. Yes. Huh? Like, you cannot you cannot have the true college football experience without tailgates. Ben is that is it. All of the tailgates, we can guarantee that. Uh the team's bands are coming along as well to perform. Oh, this oh. is it. This is the beauty of college football. The bands. Well, this is it. 48 hours. Well, there's a 48 hour exclusive pre-sale on Friday the 19th of November. A 48 hour exclusive pre-sale. So Friday the 19th is a date to put in your diaries. Head on over to collegefootballisland.com. Sign up now for exclusive access. So collegefootballisland.com. Sign up now for exclusive access. We're going to be out there. Oh. Ed and I are going to be out there. We're going to get Iron Mike back in the cab. We can try and find the cabbie that Iron Mike found that he was talking about on the review show. Uh, Mike was talking about, it was breaking up, but he seemed to be suggesting he was going out for loads of beers and then went for more beers and made friends with a barman and started talking about jewelry. And I don't know <laughs> where Mike was going with that, but we're going to retrace Iron Mike's steps as well. So it's all going to happen. August the 27, 2022, Nebraska Northwestern. Head to collegefootballisland.com. Uh, sign up for exclusive access. We'll have more information about the pre-sale uh, on future-ish editions of uh, College Days. All right, let's get down to the running back class, Ben. So where are we at with running backs we know are losing value seemingly by the season year on year, Use, losing value in terms of the NFL with, with a couple of obvious exceptions, Zeke and Saquon, McCaffrey, your average everyday starting running back in the NFL is not getting paid what are used to, relatively speaking, right? And similarly, draft classes back 15 years ago, the volume of running backs that would go in round one, very different to the number that go now, right? But like any draft class, a lot, of course, depends on the caliber. In some years, you're going to get a draft class, I guess, with a Zeke and a Saquon and maybe even a McCaffrey all going at the same time. Where's this year, all the 2022 draft class in terms of running back depth and caliber how's it looking it's not great i'll be honest with you there are a couple of players i really enjoyed there's a couple of players who i think um could shoot up draft boards um by having very productive novembers but at the moment i think what it's going to be is that you will be able to get good value on running backs you'll be able to pick up pick up some players in the third round who will be very productive. There is, there's no Saquon. There's no Zeke. There's no Christian McCaffrey. There's no Dalvin cook. We don't have those high picks who can earn good money and be, 
and B stars. Although I keep seeing people say they want Saquon Barkley traded away. Anyway, so Richard's question, <laughs> I mentioned Richard Moorcroft earlier, who, who planted the seed for uh, running backs on the show, us to do running backs, the running back class this week. Uh, here's his question for us uh, at the NC show. Incidentally, if you want to follow suit after Kenneth Walker's five touchdowns for Michigan state versus Michigan, where does he rank in college running back? So, I mean, what a time to bang in five touchdowns <laughs> yeah. in the Michigan Derby in a uh, classic game as well. It was an absolute classic. So where does he, where does he rank in the, in the pecking order? Is he on your shortlist? Oh, he is top of my shortlist. Top of it. He is absolutely top of my shortlist. In fact, in fact, now I will say this. He would be top of my Heisman ballot. I think he has been the most outstanding player in college football this season. Now, that doesn't mean the best prospect, mm-hmm. the highest draft pick. But in terms of what he's done this season, I think he's been the guy. He's been absolutely exceptional. He is explosive. He's agile. He's strong. Um, he just, he's, he's able to like, he gets seems to be slippery when they when they try to tackle him. He just seems to kind of like slip out of it. Or he can. That's quite we, Zeke. Is Zeke? Uh, yeah, that's a that's a fair comparison. I do. I wouldn't want to put him on on that level, obviously. Mm. Um, and he he'd played at Wake Forest. He transferred um, to Michigan State, and nobody had any major expectations from him. And in a season where there is there's no obvious Heisman Trophy candidate. For me, he looks as good as anybody. Um, I like how he can block. I like how he can find find holes. Um, I like his speed. I like how hard he works. I like everything about him. He just doesn't have he doesn't have enough traits that you would say kind of they are absolutely elite. But at the moment, he should be the first running back taken. Okay, so Kenneth Walker, Michigan State top of Ben's draft board at the moment. Alabama, they tend to wheel out one or two players that are pro ready, right? That's a, that's a fair thing to say. Yep. Maybe, maybe a few more. Um, and they've got one this year, you think Brian Robinson. Uh, yeah. Brian, Brian Robinson splits opinion. Um, some people say he's just, his burst isn't fast. It's, it's kind of his, his first 10 yards aren't fast enough. And isn't quite explosive, and that he runs a little bit too upright, a bit like Eric Dickerson, who we're going to talk about later. But I think that he's someone who, if you need if you need three yards and he's hit at the line of scrimmage, he'll be able to grind out those three yards. He can be hard to bring down. He's strong. He does find those holes. He hits them hard. He's he's not a kind of he's not the sort of guy who's going to be kind of going east west and kind of having people chase him he is just on a he is just looking for that first down marker so on that basis do you think the value the stock of players like that has risen because most teams are are using running backs by committee now and mix and you know mixing and matching as opposed to going for the the three down bell curve kind of back from 15 years ago you know in a way yeah he's the sort of he's the sort of guy who is like oh he's our he's our running back two and we need a running back two as good as this because we don't have a running back one mm-hmm. who can do everything. Carry it on their own, right? Yeah. yeah. And the, the problem is that there's a lot of people out there trying to be that running back too, basically. And it's a, it's a buyer's market. And you know that you need that elite wide receiver. Mm. You, can't just, you can't just have 
three pretty good wide receivers. Whereas if you've got three pretty good running backs, you've got a running game, but it doesn't work like that in the passing game. So he is someone who I think will be a good running back too. With all of these players, I think they will be good in their first contract, but I just don't know if they're going to last and get that big payday that you get after your rookie deal. And that's, that's the fear for all of these guys. They know that, okay, I can get drafted. I can get that first contract, but can I get, can I get the second, which is the one where I get, I get the, I get the millions. So Brian Robinson's got his, got his knockers, but I, I like him. I think he's like big, strong guy. Who's got a career in the NFL. Okay. uh, Next up uh, from Texas A&M, Isaiah Spiller, which is an unfortunate name for a running back, I guess. I (laughs) I hope the Patriots don't draft him because he could be in serious trouble if he uh, has any ball control issues. He's not as bad as if Tom Coughlin was still in the NFL, but not far off. No, and I I always used to think about this because I I think of, when I think of fumbling, I think of coughing the ball up. And there is Tom Coughlin worried about (laughs) coughing the ball up. Maybe that's where it kind of, uh, where it came from. Um, He's someone who... He got his. He kind of got his break um, early on as a, as a freshman. There were injuries, and he got to play. And he's just prolific. And I really like him as a as as a pass catcher as well. He can come out of the backfield. He can catch the ball. He's very crisp. He's just quick. He finds he finds gaps around the linebackers to make those catches. He's also more than happy to kind of like go head first into a linebacker. When he's, when I said about like, if you need those three yards and you hand it to him, sometimes he just doesn't, he doesn't have that power if the line is absolutely stacked against him. Mm. Um, but he is someone who I think can be in the second round. Um, Let me ask you this one, just on the power question, Ben, because it's interesting. We we were uh, uh, reaching out to, to Derek Henry, of course, who had really, really unfortunate Injury, which has completely derailed the Titans' season, uh, he is out, expected uh, to be out for the season. When we were covering uh, the game on Sunday on our radio show, we we made this point, which is is obviously not a, a hot take or a new take on Henry, um, but nevertheless, when you see it in action, when he's and we didn't really know, we figured that he was banged up, but we didn't know the extent of the injury. But he was clearly. Not at anywhere close to 100%, but grinding through, just picking up the extra yard and a half when he hit me. You know, there's contact and he just forces that extra yard and a half, two yards, yard, just churning that out. The strength just powers through. And, and it's not to be underestimated. And those collectively, those small margins can make make a huge amount of difference. But you got me thinking when you're talking about Spiller saying, well, you know, the, the, in contrast, he isn't particularly physical in that way. And uh, you know, can get held up. When we're talking about players of this age, how much physical progression consciously in terms of working up, you know, in the gym as well as any any additional kind of natural growth, can we expect to see from players at this age versus once they're a couple of years into the NFL? Can they get can they bulk up enough to to compensate for that shortcoming? I don't I don't feel they can, not enough. They can improve, but I don't think enough to kind of sort of take them to another level. They right. can they can improve, but not to the point where it adds a facet to their game. I think if they're mm. not doing it now, and obviously bear in mind the the players that they're getting tackled by, the offensive linemen they're behind the, exactly. So everything is going to be that much bigger and that much harder. So, so it they all shake they, itself out in the wash. Yeah, yeah. So they they have to go up just to kind of just to stand still. I mean, I I think that Isaiah Spiller is the best all rounder 
out of the out of the four guys that I'm that I'm bringing up today. But even then, he's he's like a kind of top of the second round, right. late first round. Is he going to the pick. Rams? I reckon he's going to the Rams. Uh, he'd be good on the Rams. He'd be good on the Rams. You can you can imagine him just kind Do of. They like have any out. draft picks left. Uh, no, I don't think they draft anymore. I think, I think they have. Left. I mean, certainly, if he's a first round pick, the, the Rams have to forget about him. What about Brees Hall? The last one on your list from Iowa State. Tell us about Brees. Now, Brees Hall is more powerful. I think a lot of people. I mean, I I I put Kenneth Walker as my number one, but I think most people feel that um, Spiller and Hall have generally been the top two in terms of the in terms of the running backs in this class. He is more powerful. Um, he's not, he's not just, he's not like a kind of wrecking ball like we've, we've seen with kind of like a Derek Henry, but he's certainly the most powerful of these. Um, he's, so he's been coached by Matt Campbell, um, at Iowa state and Matt Campbell's got a really good reputation for getting these running backs, for getting these running backs out. Mm. Um, he coached Kareem Hunt and, mm-hmm. uh, Tulsa, start. yeah, uh, David Montgomery, who's obviously been great value as well for the bears um Brees hall is a hard guy to tackle he is strong and defenders just seem to perhaps not kind of bounce off him but usually the first defender to get to him is in trouble you want a second person uh there um he's dynamic and he he can catch the ball a bit and they do try to use him like that but not like um not like the way that Spiller is used as a kind of as an all-rounder. Brees Hall is someone who I can imagine being a starting running back somewhere, but only only if you do have a good number two. He's not he's not that three-down bell cow that you described. Mm. Um, I don't I don't see anyone in this draft as obviously being of that mold, but needs must, and someone will get put into that role. But it just means you get so much kind of you. It's such a grind that by the time you get to your second contract, your your body is not in good shape. Brilliant stuff, Ben. So for those are four running backs. We'll, we'll come back, revisit uh, skill positions as well. We're going to be rolling college days all through the season, in the off-season as well, as we get into, you know, post the Super Bowl in LA. Well, we'll have the drafts firmly on our site. So the show's going to keep on rolling and, and lots of good college day stuff for you. So uh, plenty more. Revisit how the tail end of the seasons have gone for these guys. And then we'll start to look as well at, at good fits for them as, as the mock boards and the draft boards start to take shape we'll start to think about well spiller would be a good fit for for la or you know for the ravens or working out which offenses might be uh, a logical landing spot and also you know which uh, which rumors are flying around from insiders that they're taking a close look at that particular player so looking forward to getting to that we're gonna wrap up the show in a moment with games to watch this weekend but before we do let's go to our college ball 101 feature the uh renamed feature after just one week so it was our <laughs> legends feature but we've torn that up because hey we don't that's how we roll ben right we don't mind about just going back to the drawing board oh yeah we'll improvise we'll improvise just like just like justin fields we'll improvise it is what 30 uh plus years this story broke so one of the reasons we've rebranded like i said at the top of the show we're going to do legends so we had bear bryant earlier on uh we are going to have lots of individuals that have been a, a, a seminal part of the history of college football but also we figured it's remiss and short-sighted not to include key stories and key events maybe even some games as well that Mm -hmm. uh, that happened that will help paint the overall picture for you so you've got a good grounding in the great game so we're heading to smu for this one you mentioned eric dickerson uh, 
earlier on in the show, of course, one of the NFL's all-time greats, the Pony Express, along with Craig James. But uh, a lot more to this tale than how prolific these two were on the field, Ben. So pick the picture for us. Well, first off, I've got to take you all the way back to 1915, because that's when the Southwest Conference was formed. It doesn't exist now. But 10 years after that, 2020, 2025, 1925, it had its core group. And that was Texas, Texas A&M, Arkansas, Baylor, TCU, which is Texas Christian University, SMU, Southern Methodist University, and Rice, uh, which is a university in Houston. And decades which later... One of those, which one of those did Smash Williams want to go to? It, oh! Go to in, it, was it, or was it a made-up one? I think it was, I think it was a made-up one. TM, I think it was a made-up like one. Like a made-up... Yeah, 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 yeah. But it was, yeah, it was one of... It was, it was, one of those, yeah. It was meant yeah. to be one of like, the big Texas ones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and then later they added Texas Tech and Houston. So if you're keeping track... Arkansas, the only one of those teams not from the state of Texas. It mm-hmm. was very Texas heavy. And the big boys in that conference were Texas, Texas A&M, and Arkansas. They had far bigger enrollments, so they were getting more money. They had far more top-level players. But when you've got something so regional, you've got that conference, and almost entirely in one state, what you find is the boosters. So these are the these are the these generally the big businessmen who are funneling money into the programs, paying for new facilities, getting their names put on stadiums and all this sort of stuff. They all knew each other from business and especially in the Dallas area. So we go to like the 70s and 80s. Dallas was absolutely booming, mainly due to oil and real estate. Dallas itself is basically being reborn at this time. Mm. Before then, it's, you know, when you think back, basically it was known for the place where JFK was assassinated and that was its reputation which is obviously a pretty bleak thing to be associated with. But then all this money came in. And obviously the the TV show Dallas was right of the moment because it was the fastest growing city. Skyscrapers were appearing everywhere. The Cowboys had become, quote unquote, America's team. And the city's profile was sky high. And all these boosters were in, in competing businesses. They were going for lunch together. And they were ultra, ultra competitive. It always turned to, you know, my college team just beat your college team and so on and so forth. They all wanted bragging rights. You mentioned Dallas. Did it ever get into the, uh, I guess, slightly before our time, but did it ever get into the the plot lines that J.R. Ewing was a booster for for Texas? I'm sure sure it must have done somewhere. If it was, if it was, if if that program was created for the first time now, I think it would have to be. Right. I think you'd have to make it. And it, even if they went to like, they created like a fictional university, it would all have to be that J.R. Ewing was obsessed with that team. <laughs> um, so only one of these colleges, though, was actually in Dallas itself, and that was SMU. And they're one of the small ones. Um, generally, if it's, if it's got a name like Southern Methodist University, it is not going to compete with the University of Texas. Right. Um, they hired a guy called Ron Mayer in 1976, and he ended up being compared to J.R. Ewing soon enough because he was brash, he had charisma, and he would get things done. But there was an open secret among boosters, and that was that they were all funneling money to recruits to get them to sign for their colleges. And Eric Dickerson was one of the top, if not the top recruit in America in 1978. And one day he committed to Texas A&M. And he arrived at school the next day driving a gold Trans Am, <laughs> which is pretty ballsy. 
Uh, when there's all these rumours of players being given money. Now, it's like he, the scene in Heat when when they've pulled off a job quite early on and De Niro goes out for dinner with all the, his crew and their girlfriends or wives and they're wheeling out you know, diamond rings and NASCAR, <laughs> yeah. just like that. I, I, it, was, it was so shameless. Now, he still denies the two things were connected. When he denies it, he denies it with a smirk on his face. Oh, he, said, he said his elderly grandmother brought it, bought it for him. But somehow SMU changed his mind and he decommitted from Texas A&M and the car then vanished. How about that? Read into that what you will. Um, Maybe Granny was a big A&M fan. Oh, she was yeah, horrified. She's like, this is back to the dealership. <laughs> um, so an SMU booster had said to people, oh, you'll never guess how we got this done. And we still don't know how it got done, but we can guess that there was plenty of money involved. But so for a relatively small school to flip the top recruit in the country who'd, we, who we can be confident already been offered inducements. Like Dickerson said that um, one college w- came to his house to talk to him and just opened a briefcase that had 50 grand in it. So for like for SMU to I mean, straight flip, to the point, I can yeah. admire, the, yeah. admire the directors um, for SMU to flip him. Wow. You know, that that's ridiculous. And he played for SMU and he changed their fortune. So they went eight and four in 1980, but the NCAA were already on them. They knew things were going on in Texas and they started being hit with violations for small things, but it just, it didn't stop SMU. Over the next four seasons, they lost five games in total. They finished the 1982 season ranked second in the nation. And they did most of this without Meyer. He left after the 81 season to take over the Patriots, which, ended up not going particularly well. So the new guy came in, Bobby Collins. He inherited a great team, but the knock on him was he didn't know recruiting like Meyer did, whereas Meyer was a salesman like Ewing. Collins was just a coach. Mm. But the success was down to the Pony Express, Eric Dickerson and Craig James in the backfield. And then when they went into the NFL um, and Craig James went to the Patriots, Eric Dickerson went to the Rams, the winds started to dry up and the NCAA had been watching them like a hawk and we're getting closer to finding out the truth. And although there's no doubt other teams in the conference were doing the same thing SMU were doing, SMU faced greater scrutiny because their success was so much more surprising. If Texas is winning a load of games, people aren't suspicious right. and they don't look into it quite as much. People were really skeptical that SMU could do this fairly. So in 1985, SMU were banned from playing in bowl games and they, the number of scholarships they could offer was cut, which is a big deal because obviously that's how you get people to come. Build the program, right? So SMU at this point, what they should have done is just stop paying people. Just stop. You, like, you are being watched the entire time. You know you're under surveillance. But they've made so many commitments to players that they couldn't stop because they had to keep these people happy and quiet. So they tried to gradually phase it out, but they still kept paying them. One player was cut from the team, which meant he's not getting any money. First thing he did was just go all scorched earth. He just went on TV Mm. and just spilled the beans and said, this is what they do. This is what I was paid. This is what I was told. So a big investigation was started. And in 1987, after the investigation was finished, the NCAA handed down their biggest punishment ever, the death penalty. SMU were not allowed to play football in 1987. They were told they could return in 1988, but only play away games. And that's only because the NCAA was worried about the money lost 
by the by the home teams in that, those games. But because of a lack of players and coaches, the team didn't even return until 1989. It was devastating for them. The Southwest Conference itself disbanded a few years later. Most of the teams stuck together in a new conference, uh, the Big 12, but SMU were not invited. They were just left out in the cold. Since then, they've played in three different conferences, but none of them are part of the Power Five. And it took until 2009 for them to win more than six games in a season. This was a team that was one of the best in college football in the early 80s, and it just was snuffed out. It took decades for them to even become a respectable program. 20 years after, more than 20 years after the punishment to just win more than six games. No team, no football team has ever had this punishment since because of its severity. Mm. And here we are in 2021. SMU are actually seven and one. And players are allowed to earn money. They're allowed to earn money from their, from their likeness. And we've talked before about how there's ways if a booster wants to find a way to pay them, then they can just be like, okay, well, you do an ad for my car dealership and I'll pay you 50 right, grand right, or whatever. That's in the, inside yeah. the rules. But on that, so, I mean, as, you, as you've eloquently described it all, and in particular the complete collapse that it engendered, right, of, 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 the, of the organization or of the, of the football program. But we know that if they were transgressing, as they were found guilty of, because they had a whistleblower, that surely they're one of dozens and dozens of organizations that this was happening, right? I mean, that's the, that's the general mm. consensus, right? That this was not anything unique to them. Was it just that they were caught and that's when they had to be made an example or? It's a, it's a little bit of that. It was that it was so, they were so blase about it all. Mm. It was so widespread. It was the entire program was built on the fact that they were going to pay for people and it was decided an example would be would be made of them. You mm. know, there have been other other incidents where players have been found to be getting something for free that they shouldn't be getting, and there have been punishments handed down. But I think this is this is the nuclear option, and I think the NCAA would be terrified to use it again. I think if you tried to do it now, there would end up being so many legal challenges that you wouldn't be able to make it stick. Mm. But it, it changed everything because all of a sudden people realized that we could be next and they had to try and clean up their act or at least try and get a bit smarter, not be so ridiculous that, you know, you hand someone, a, like a teenager, a gold Trans Am <laughs> the day that they commit and think that nobody will notice. Um, <laughs> That's and, extraordinary, isn't it? You know, if you, if, if you found any of this interesting, then Pony Excess the ESPN documentary, which you can find on ESPN Player, is absolutely fantastic. There's, it's, it's a really, it's a really fun story, as long as you're not an SMU fan, um, just because it is full of kind of Texas '80s bravado and excess. It is, uh, it's a, it's a fascinating, fascinating piece of college football history, and it's, it's significant not just it's the biggest penalty, but because here we are today, and players can get money. Yeah, I think you can do that where you can build your entire life based around a building. Just dress up your house as J.R. Ewing's office. You'd have to drink whiskey at about 10 o'clock in the morning every day, uh, which is fine. I mean, you, you do that anyway, right, Ben? So, I mean, not a huge amount yeah, would have to yeah, change. Why not? I love it, love it, love it. Right. Um, we are almost out of dodge. Very quickly, give us three games to watch this weekend and three reasons why we should watch it. Okay, well, 
the one thing to know is that the games are an hour earlier because mm-hmm. the clock's changing. Um, I'm going to start 4 p.m. North Carolina versus Wake Forest. Wake Forest, this is, this is the best Wake Forest season in generations. Wake Forest are currently the only unbeaten team in the ACC. I don't quite know how good they are. North Carolina were meant to be good. This is, a, this is an in-state rivalry. If Wake Forest keep winning... They could, in theory, make the playoffs. They could really cause problems for the selection committee if wow. they keep winning. So watch Wake Forest now while they're still good and exciting because it could just all fall apart. <laughs> then at 7.30, I'm going to go to Purdue versus Michigan State because I love watching Kenneth Walker. And Michigan State are one of the only unbeaten teams in college football right now. They are a legitimate playoff contender. But Purdue, they ruined Iowa's season and they have a good record of beating teams who are very very good and just spoiling their season so there's a potential up uh, upset on the cards then 11 o'clock it's got to be alabama versus lsu mm. alabama despite their defeat against texas a&m they can still make the playoff they need to win out they need to win the rest of their games which is certainly possible and then beat georgia in the sec championship game and this is always a highly highly contentious game alabama versus lsu these teams don't like each other i'm gonna give you a bonus fourth one that because i Let's like you at 2 15 a.m utep versus utsa utep is university of texas el paso utsa is university of texas san antonio utsa the road runners against the utep miners utsa having a really good season they're in the top 25 they are absolutely rolling and if they can if they can keep going and get a a high enough ranking, they can end up in a in a major bowl game. UTEP are really good as well. This is the sort of when we think of Texas football, we think of kind of Texas, Texas AM and all the, the games that teams we've been talking about. But give a little respect to UTEP and UTSA who were battling away. I think only one or two defeats between them, looking really good, entertaining, and you can be a full-on hipster if you're like, yeah, I'm staying up to watch UTSA get UTEP. Your, get your UTEP shirt. Well, if you're staying up for the Canelo fight, that could be a good oh, warm-up, right? There you go. Perfect segue, yes. Keep going. Lo- thank you very much. Loving that. Loving your work as ever, Ben, on the show. Uh, ben is back. Fear not, listeners. Ben is back this week for our week nine. How the hell are we at week nine? I know. That's My ridiculous. God. A week nine preview show, so that dropping later on this week. So's Edge Rush. So between uh, me and Ben and Propo uh, and me, Propo and I, Propo and me. Mm. <laughs> anyway, between the four of us, three of us, four yeah, <laughs> between the, and Mike and everybody else. Between us, we're going to get into all of or most of the week nine action for you on the two pods. I and Mike dropped by a little bit later than usual this week. It dropped Tuesday morning, but it's sitting there in your podcatcher, I'm sure. Our review show, looking back at a whirlwind weekend once again. So get on Mike's hot takes while you can. Uh, so I think the general conclusion there is plenty of NFL chat coming your way, gang. So if you haven't already subscribed to us, because that way you won't miss a trick. Incidentally, Ben, appreciate the love for the show on the different podcatchers, Apple in particular, that's the one I happen to use, and or Spotify as well, actually. To all, oh, they're all great. They're all <laughs> they're all great. But I'm looking at the reviews on Apple in particular, and we massively appreciate that. It really helps the show, doesn't it? It helps the algorithm. Ollie was describing using a graph and pictures what an algorithm is to me the other day, and I really understand it. But I get the idea that it's a good thing. Yeah. So, so it's to do with Al Gore and his that's sense of rhythm, I believe. Yeah. But whenever I whenever yeah. I go on Spotify. Yeah. And I'm listening to my 90s hip hop on that mm. every single time. It serves me your face and says, like, listen to this podcast. And I think, yes, I will, but I've listened to it once and I was on it. 
Yeah, I'm sorry about that. I'm sorry. That's about, fine. Because yeah, I mean, you know, you've got you've got a good face. So when it's Please. getting when you're when you're listening to to I don't know Scarface or Domino or whatever your, <laughs> your mid nineties mixes are wheeling out right now. I apologize. Apologize for that. Hey. Ben, cracking work. Looking forward to catching up with you uh, for the preview show. Tweets from Ben is how you follow the big man on Twitter, so make sure you do that. Look after yourself, bud. See you soon. Sports Social Podcast Network.